this morning. I think in this world that there's a lot of deceit, there's a lot of error, and a lot of lies um, that you're being lied to almost on a daily basis. Um, and the problem is, is that because of those lies, we can worry. Because of those lies, we doubt, we get anxious. And sometimes the problem, too, is that we are too self-sufficient. We trust in ourselves. We trust in our pull-yourself-up-by-your-brute-straps mentality. And we trust in ourselves and our actions more than we do God. Sometimes, maybe we trust too much in others. We make others' faith our faith. And we can tend to put others over God. Whether they're a friend, family, a pastor, whoever, we put them on such a high pedestal. And then when they sin or they mess up, then our faith is shaken. So then my question is, was that even our own faith? Our faith is not because of anyone else's faith. Our, our faith is our own relationship with Christ. Another reason that we do not trust is that we can feel distant from God. Or we think that God has left us. When a matter of fact, sometimes, or actually a majority of the time, we leave God. Another reason we do not trust God is that when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And instead of conviction, we let our guilt cause us to run away from Him like Adam and Eve. We go and hide. We have cultivated this bad habit of worrying compared to trusting now, I want to ask you, if, do, do, do you have a prayer list or is it simply a worry list? We tend to doubt God. And when we doubt God, instead of trusting in Him, we drift towards sin. And when we drift towards sin, compared to, to drift, we don't drift naturally to holiness. And when we do that, it's usually filled by our doubt of God, our love for sin. And our pride. And then when all these things are going on, we start to fret and we get in despair. And then we start to question God. And we say, are you still on the throne? Can I trust you? Are you trustworthy? So if you have a Bible this morning, I want you to please open to Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the word proverb means to, to be like. Proverbs teach fundamental truths about life. I remember my grandfather, when I was a kid, he, he said, every month you read one proverb a day. <laughs> King Solomon, David's son, wrote around 3,000 proverbs, yet the 513 most important proverbs are in our canon, a biblical text that we have today. Solomon is considered to be and is the wisest man that has ever lived. Why? Why? It's simply due to God. First Kings 4, 29 to 31. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men. Okay, so God gave Solomon wisdom. Now, why did he give Solomon wisdom? The answer is in 1 Kings 3, 3 to 14. Solomon asked for it. 
Solomon asked for an understanding mind, and this pleased the Lord. Notice he didn't pray for three more zeros on his paycheck. He didn't pray for more material things, more things that perish. He didn't pray for long life or the death of his enemies. His prayer was unselfish. And he didn't treat God like a little genie. No, he wanted the Lord's will to be done. What we know of who God is should influence the way we pray, just like Solomon. But that's that's a message for another time. I I know this passage that we're looking at in Proverbs chapter three, it's it's popular and it's quoted quite a bit and maybe even taken out of context. But that doesn't add or take away to its importance as all of God's word is God breathed. So how do we deal with the problems of deception? How do we deal with all the lies that are running rampant in the world? All the doubt, all the worry, all the self-sufficiency. How do we deal with that? Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Now, you may be thinking after reading this, oh, man, if if I just did better at the rules, you know, maybe I I dressed a little nicer. Maybe my church attendance was perfect. Maybe I kept that Bible app reading streak a whole year. Maybe if I said the right things, then then maybe just maybe I would be considered, um, you know, a better Christian. If I if I did better at the do's and the don'ts, then I would be a part of the religious elite then I would be blessed. I can earn my salvation, right? Wrong. If you're trusting in your works, what did Christ die for? But does that mean that we just throw up our hands in the air and that because of the grace that we've been given, that we just live in blatant sin and that we take advantage of it? By no means. I used to always ask myself, and I would wrestle so much with, if Christ died for me, then, then why obey? Does it really matter if I just look at Jesus as my get-out-of-jail-free card? Does it really matter? And so I would obey, and the longest time when I would obey, the, the motivation was fear, which I'm not going to discourage the fear of God either. We are to revere and respect God because He is almighty and He is holy. But my devotional life became duty only, I have to read the Bible. I have to pray. If I don't do these things, I'm not going to be good at my job. Also, I only did it because I didn't, I didn't want to go to hell. Therefore, I thought I could lose my salvation. I thought that when I sinned or if I had intrusive thoughts or if I had sinful thoughts or I had temptation, that I would, I would tear myself down thinking, all right, that's it. You, you've done too much. You've done too much. You've separated yourself from the grace of God. And then I would idolize my sin. Your sin is too much for the cross. Your sin is too much for Christ to bear. You're unworthy and unforgiven. But those statements are lies. I made my guilt greater than the grace that I had been given. We worship the God whom we know as revealed to us through his word. Jesus is the word, the living word. And the Bible is the written word. And if you haven't noticed, the Bible is all about whom? Jesus. 
If there is no relationship in your walk with God and it's just rule keeping and, and trying to come across as perfect, you will miss the mark. You will be worn out. You will be negative all the time. And you will be in borderline despair. There will be no joy and no hope. Your walk becomes just works-based religion without relationship. We make our salvation dependent on what we do compared to relying on what God has done in His Son. David Guzik stated, This obedience is one of the heart. Our goal in obedience is not that outward conformity to God's will, but a heart that is transformed, a heart that is regenerated, a heart that is born again, that loves Him and obeys Him, for He is truth. We love the truth, and the truth sets us free. Which we're going to look more into that in a minute. Anyways, uh, let's look at verse 2, which unfortunately, many will take out of context and turn it into simply about prosperity. And if you think that just because you obey that all of a sudden you're going to prosper, I advise you to go read the book of Job. Um, This length of days statement, because some people want to live a long life, this length of days statement could also be viewed as a curse. And it's, it's not a blessing if those long days are without joy and peace. Who wants to live without joy and peace? Let's look at this practically. So, From the text, if you're obeying God, more than likely, the percentage of dying goes down because you're not out breaking the law. You're not out being an idiot. You're not out doing hard drugs, murdering, stealing, putting yourself at a higher risk of danger, etc. Note, this does not say, this does not say, if you follow these commandments, then all of a sudden your life's going to be sunshine and rainbows. That there's, there's no more suffering. There's no more sin nature that lives in you, as stated in Romans 7, or a worry-free experience. Trials will come. But my question is, is do you have a shelter ready for those? Are you actively preparing your shelter for trials? But in verses 25 to 26 of this same chapter, Solomon said, uh, Proverbs three twenty-five. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So church, we will have trials. We will have suffering and hardships and pain. But God is with you through them. Most of our walk is how we, how we respond to these trials. Most of our life isn't based off what we have done and we make our own destiny zen type things. No. Most of your life are circumstances that are outside of your control. So then my question is, is how do you respond to those trials when they come and it feels like your life is spiraling out of control? Do you believe the lies You lean on the truth. And the main point I want to hit on with this verse is a word called peace, which I'm not talking about some, once again, some Zen hippie, I'm cool dude, Joe, peace. No, but I'm talking about the peace of God. Peace is not the absence of problems, but it's a confidence in God's sovereignty. 
It is a reflection of trusting in the Lord during those problems as he is your refuge during storms. When we trust in God and we receive his peace, it does what verse 8 says in our passage in Proverbs 3. If you look down at it, verse 8, his peace brings healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Healing to you spiritually, but maybe even physically because you're not stressing all the time. Your blood pressure may go down just a little bit. You may not be stressing every day, every hour, every minute. And I, I, I understand. I've been there. And I still can go back into doubt, worry, and fear. I've started to notice I have some gray hair coming in. And it's because sometimes I let my stress win. Or I let my fears win. And when I do that, instead of trusting that God is on the throne, I elevate those things up there instead of him. But no, God is on the throne and the earth is his footstool. Now, the Holy Spirit grows in us fruits of the spirit. And a few of those fruits include, as stated in Galatians 5.22, peace and self-control. The other fruits, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. So do you want joy? Do you want peace? Care for what, for what you wish for. When you knock, Jesus will open the door. When you ask for more of him in your life, it might come in the form of a trial. When you ask for more of him in your life, you might be surprised what happens and what he does. And if your prayer is in line with his will, prepare yourself. Ask for the Holy Spirit to grow these fruits in your heart. And you might be pleasantly surprised how much that God can do. How much that God can transform broken hearts Broken sinners like you and I for all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And he turns sinners into saints. So what should we do when sin, worry, doubt or fear knocks on our doors or those lies start to creep in? What are we to do? If you'll read with me verses three to four of our passage. Verse three to four. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. God's steadfast love and faithfulness should be on our hearts daily. Our duty with this command is to remind ourselves of the truth, of his truth, out of devotion to God Due to his love for us, we are simply to live as an I love you too in response to what God has done for us and that he is truth. And I, I want to never get over the joy of the gospel. I've been privileged to read this book called Laugh Again by Chuck Spindle, where there was a long period of time um, where I was just I would not laugh. I kind of lost my joy and uh, it was really hard. Um, and so anyways, what, I, what I'm going to say is that 
When we enjoy God, we glorify him. And people see that joy in you. And uh, I, was, I was at the YMCA, and, and I, I just keep praying that God would put some, some people that, that do not know the gospel in my life, so hopefully just maybe that I could plant some seed. And, uh, and, and I'm, I've been privileged that I've started to build a, a little bit of a relationship with this guy at, at the gym. And every time he comes in, we, we talk to each other. And um, particularly recently, uh, Mackenzie and I, we lost uh, a dog named Husker. And, uh, and so Husker, um, he meant a lot to me. Uh, that's a whole other story. But basically, he, 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 he comes over to me and he goes, hey, man, how are you doing today? I said, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm really not good. I, I just had to put my dog down. And, uh, but I, there was an opportunity there. And I said, the joy of the Lord's my strength. The joy of the Lord's my strength. And so it's not all happiness and sunshine and rainbows, but how do you respond when certain suffering comes? Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. His love and faithfulness needs to always be on our hearts. And I never want to get over the joy of the gospel I never want to have indifference to God. I never want to have apathy to the fact that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. The New King James and King James, they, they translate this, um, this verse. They say, let not God's truth. Who's the truth, Jesus? Let not God's truth and his mercy forsake you. Now, Matthew Poole, he observed that mercy and truth could be understood both as God's mercy and God's truth to us. And as the mercy and truth that is that is man's duty to show others. We are to replicate the mercy that God has given us to others. The love that God has given us to others. The truth. The truth. Truth and mercy, they're both important, but they should never be forsaken. And we must never forget why we share with others the truth. Why? Obedience out of love for him and only for God's glory alone. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Sharing the gospel out of reverence for God because, I mean, it is commanded. It is. But also... Do you even love others? Has your love grown cold? Do you not care if people are perishing? A good way, once again, to share the gospel is by the way that you enjoy God in your everyday living. People take notice of that. Always be ready to share the hope you have in you with gentleness and respect as stated in 1 Peter chapter 3. And there's a danger, especially for those that are, we are all collectively in ministry, but especially for those that are in vocational ministry, pastors, evangelists, whatever that may be, teachers. There's a danger of becoming puffed up. You become puffed up with head knowledge. You read, 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 and then we turn God into just an academic exercise. Duty, discipline. Yet duty and discipline with no love, it makes a man calloused. It makes a man calloused. Relationship turns to religion. Devotion simply only to duty. We become spiritual gluttons. 
And we only care about ourself. And we only care about our own walk with Christ, which is so against what Scripture teaches. I want to quote to you Charles Spurgeon. He said, You are debtors. For what were ye if compassion had not come to your rescue? Divine compassion, all undeserved and free, has redeemed you from your vain conversation. Surely those who receive mercy should show mercy. Those who owe all they have to the pity of God should not be pitiless to their brothers. The Savior never for a moment tolerates the self-righteous isolation which would make you despise the prodigal, the sinner, and cavil at his restoration, much less the Cainite spirit which cries, you know, Cain killed Abel, and then cried out, am I my brother's keeper? No doctrine, no scripture is rightly received by you if it freezes the rushing current of your Christian compassion. And if it freezes your love for God, and if it freezes your love for others. You may know the truth of doctrine, but you do not know the doctrine in truth if it makes you gaze on the wrath to come without emotions of pity for immortal souls. So I want to encourage you, think of people in your life that maybe they do know the gospel, but reject it. Think of people that don't know the gospel, that maybe, just maybe, you can plant some seed. Think of people in your family. Think of people that are your friends that do not know the good news, or maybe they know the good news and reject it. What are we to do? Are we to fret and just give up? No. No. Encourage you instead of worrying about them and worrying about the judgment that is coming for those that reject the gift, which we're going to talk about soon. Pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them. And instead of rejecting the Holy Spirit, that they would be convicted and believe. We are to share the good news with others. Pray that God's kindness and pray that God's holiness would lead them to repentance. We may know what we believe and why, but what is it worth having the treasure and not sharing the treasure? And it's still winter, so I can share what that looks like. So imagine um, that you have the best chili, the best chili recipe or the best stew that you've ever had. So what usually happens when you have a really, really good food? It's so good you can't help but want to share it with other people. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And now if you're always having soup poured into your bowl and it overflows and it's just falling under the ground, why are you not sharing it? Why are you not sharing the hope that's in you? Either two reasons or three actually. You're afraid, and I get that. Or maybe you're a glutton of spiritual things, or maybe you're just lazy. Yet, our good news is so good, we are compelled to share it with others. We can't help ourselves. 
That the Holy Spirit would produce in you springs of living water to pour out to others. Wisdom. Wisdom. Is just your walk with Christ just head knowledge? Or is it wisdom? Which is knowledge used for its proper end. We must be a compassionate people for his glory. To love the prodigal. To love the one who walked away. Because you know that you yourself have sinned. And that God reached out to you when you were in sin. We need to replicate the love that's been given to us. To share the truth that we have within us. To share the hope that we have within us. And we need to replicate grace to people who may not know what grace is whatsoever. So I want to ask now, what's the difference between grace and mercy? I feel like in church, you know, we just kind of say that it comes as a, a combo deal. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. When we don't know the difference between the two. J. Vernon McGee, he explained the difference when he said mercy is loving kindness. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What is loving kindness? It is grace. It is more than just kindness. So the teacher asked a little girl the difference between kindness and loving kindness or the difference between mercy and grace. And the little girl, she answered, well, the difference, if, if you go in and you ask your mama for a, a piece of bread with some butter on it, she gives it to you. That, that's kindness. But if she puts a little jam on it without your asking her, that's loving kindness. My friend, God puts a little jam on it for all of us. Loving kindness, mercy and grace. And you need to praise him that he worked on your heart to believe and trust in the truth, not the lies of the world. Let not these things forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. When we have God's love, mercy, truth, and grace wrapped around us, we then find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now do not hear me that I'm saying, oh, you'll do these steps and then you'll prosper to a prosperous life and rainbow and sunshine. Nothing bad will ever happen. Instead, when we live different from the culture, all for his glory, all for Christ, all in, people will notice the transformed lives. We should obey out of love and reverence for our Lord and Savior. Psalm 111 verse 10 states, The fear of the Lord, and sometimes when I read the fear of the Lord, I think the respect of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. To others, our love and the hope that we have in us is in the way that maybe we we treat one another in here. Or maybe the way that we treat others out in the workplace. Or the way that we treat um, a friend, a family. Or maybe the person that's not so lovable in the family. And it's hard. I get it. But we are to extend grace. And it will be evident in the people that we work with. Or to the people that we work with. You know, I, I even want to say that 
It'll be evident in the way that you treat a waiter or waitress. My goodness, how many times have I heard waiters and waitresses go, Oh boy, here comes the church crowd, the most ruthless people in the entire town. And I've seen it played out in small towns where they go to the diner after they've, you know, you sing your hymns and you talk about how you're so thankful for love, truth, and grace. And then you go out and then you don't give any to the people around you. So now let's look at verses 5 and 7 of our passage, which address the problems of doubt, worry, and self-sufficiency. In verse 5, let's look at our passage, and I, I want to read it to you actually in the opposite of what it says. This will deal with this self-sufficiency pride issue. So instead of reading it for what it is, I'm, I want to read it to you like this. Trust in self. With all your heart, lean on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge yourself and you will make straight your paths. Be wise in your own eyes, fear others and turn to evil. We can tend to hyper focus on our problems or trials when we're in them. You can't help but see them when they're right in your face. We idolize and worry so much about what's bothering us. Or maybe it's some task that we need to do. Or maybe it's something at your job. Or maybe it's something in your family. And the more that we think about it, the worse it gets. You can't sleep at night because all you're thinking about is your problems. We replace the presence of God with the presence of problems. You then start to despair at the insurmountable height of the mountain of that problem that you forget who moves mountains. And you, it makes you want to get into a fetal position to give up, to lock your doors, to never see the light of day ever, ever again. And then we think that, man, the grass would just be greener if I could just maybe make a little bit more money. If maybe if I could just be a little bit more smart like that person or that person. Or maybe if I, whatever, X, Y, and Z, if I could just get to here or get to here or get to here, then things would be fine. So my question is, but would they? Would, would you ever be satisfied? Would you ever be without worry? Newsflash, there's always something that will cause you to worry. Our attempts at self-sufficiency and our attempts to want to fix things with temporary solutions to an eternal problem, those things will always fail you. Our problem is our sin nature. And we have two others as well. So we have sin nature, Satan, and the world. I have a friend of mine, he would always text me and say, Hey, brother, have you put the armor on this morning? Because the devil's at work. He's prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour you at any chance he can get. He is always clocked in. He's always looking to deceive you. He's always looking for ways to get you to sin. So what did the serpent do to cause Adam and Eve to sin? Just like us today, he did the same thing then. He twisted the word of God and caused Adam and Eve to doubt. They ca he caused Adam and Eve to doubt. And they doubted God. And they doubted the truth. And when we doubt God, 
Nothing we do can take away that doubt. No amount of material items, no amount of money, no amount of sex, no amount of booze, no amount of family, no amount of friends, no amount of whatever else that you use to distract yourself. Hobbies, whatever, TV, movies, books, whatever that may be. Nothing else will take away the doubt, worry, and anxiety except the truth. Our doubt and worry that gets so bad, we take God off the throne, we put our fears and doubts on the throne. But let me tell you that God has not and he will not be taken off the throne. The same God who laid the foundations of the earth and numbered the stars in the sky knows the exact amount of hair that you have on your head, which some less than others, but he has created you. He has created you. He has redeemed you for a purpose. And that purpose is for his glory. That purpose is because he has given grace. That purpose is because he has given you mercy. So now how are you going to live because of those things that he has given you? Take advantage of them, live in sin, or be a living sacrifice to live for him and to enjoy him with to have joy of the Lord. Yourself will fail 100% of the time to be holy. If you compare yourself to God's law, even just looking at how do you love God? How do you love your neighbor? We miss the mark. We really miss the mark. How much do we keep the Ten Commandments? Once again, we miss the mark. We have fallen short. Why trust God? Why Is he trustworthy? I'm up here telling you that God's trustworthy. You should trust in God, right? So why? Why is he trustworthy? Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God's not a liar. He does not go against who he is. He does not contradict himself. He has kept all of his promises in scripture And I hope that you have some joy that he's continuing to keep his promises for what the future has for those who are in Christ. So let's look at a few promises that he has kept in his word in the Old Testament. We're going to look at some promises that he will take care of in the future. So I'm going to just talk about Noah. Noah, um, the earth was full of corruption and defiled by demonic human relations and it was polluting God's creation it was so bad. And, and so God, once again, we see him giving grace to humanity, which, I mean, that's a big no-no, right? The God of the Old Testament's not the God of the New, am I right? I mean, God never shows mercy and grace in the Old Testament, right? We see here God gave mercy and grace to humans. He preserved the human race through Noah. Genesis 6 verse 8 Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Why? Because he walked with God. And God gave Noah specific instructions on how to build the ark. And what took place from that point on was 120 years of faithfulness by Noah. I think that we can learn from that. God's holiness and justice was displayed in the flood of the earth. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was Brutal. The whole face of the earth was wiped clean. Genesis 6.18, God made a promise that 
But I will establish my covenant with you, or you can think my promise with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. The flood came, wiped out the face of the earth, yet God remembered Noah. That's grace. God preserved Noah and his family and gave grace to humanity when we deserve nothing but death. God promises Noah as well in chapter 8, verses 21 to 22. God promised and kept his promises when he stated, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And Jeremiah talks about the heart is evil and wicked. Yet neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, but still promise kept to today. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold, heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. But yet... Um, God's not sovereign, right? I mean, the world's falling apart. Oh, the pollution, etc. God doesn't sustain his creation, right? It's something to think about. I'm serious. I mean, we are to be good stewards of what he has given us and to take care of the creation and animals, etc. But we act so much as if God is not in control. So now, Genesis 9, verse 11 to 17. I establish my covenant, my promise... With you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the promise that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant or promise between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds of rain, over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant or promise that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant promise between God and every living creature of all flesh. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I established between me and all flesh that's on the earth. You know, we look at the rainbow now and most of you are probably thinking of sexual perversion, sexual immorality. Compared, it's been twisted. God's word's been twisted into that. Compared to when we see the rainbow, we should be remembering. And I'm not saying that we, we, are, we are to have grace on people that are in sin. You don't hate those people. But I want to also encourage you that when you see the rainbow, remember God's promise, his promise he made with Noah and us that he will never again flood the earth. Now we could talk about another promise, God's promise of deliverance, his promise of the exit of Israel out of Egypt. So when you hear the word exodus, think exit. That's what helped me to remember it. Um. He told Moses of how he would deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt, which once again, that is a promise that has been kept. God kept his promise to Ananias in Acts 8.15 about Paul being cho the, his chosen vessel to bear his name to the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And that same Paul went on to write a majority of the New Testament. God spoke through Paul to write down the majority of the New Testament. He takes sinners and makes them into saints. He transforms their lives. He transforms our lives. 
Believers were promised the Holy Spirit in Acts, which took place at Pentecost. Yet again, another promise that's been kept. That same Holy Spirit, that same power that conquered the grave, that same power from Him is what worked on your heart to believe in the gospel. You believed, you were convicted, you were encouraged. Yet sadly, some that are convicted of their sin, instead of believing, they harden their heart against God. They rebel against God and choose their sin over God. They reject him and the gift, which we're going to hit on that in a little bit. But um, sadly, we're going to have to see that in just a minute. But Jesus promised his children Another promise that we're going to look at is in John 14, verses 1 to 4. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's a promise. I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. That doesn't cause any joy. I don't know what will. That Jesus is preparing a room for us. God is just and holy and he will deal with sin. And he did at the cross, and he will deal with those who have rejected him. For those that believe, for those that trust in the good news, Jesus took care of that sin. It's been paid in full by his sacrifice. He bore the sin of the world, and he drank the cup of wrath for his sheep. He loved you, and he did that for you. He took the death that you owed, and you have hope Because the grave is empty. You have hope because he is Messiah. That he is the Christ, the anointed one of God. You have a living hope. His blood that was shed has washed you clean. He was credited with our sinfulness. And in turn, we were credited with his righteousness. We have Christ interceding for us right now. He is our great high priest. He's praying for us right now. For those who trust in the gospel, the good news is is you are saved, you are loved, and you are forgiven. Jesus is our Lord and Savior who we can rejoice in and that he will keep his promise. He will return soon. But here's the bad news for those who reject the gift of the gospel. Instead of trusting in Christ for forgiveness of sins and him taking that debt that you owed by rejecting the gift, you yourself will have to give account for your sins. You yourself will have to bear that burden and account before God for the way that you lived your life. Instead of Jesus being your Lord and Savior, And saying, thy will be done, his will will be done. Instead of being and rescuing you, 
Instead of being your great high priest who's interceding for you, he will be your judge. You reject the lamb and you will get the lion. You will give account and pay for all the sins. The books will be opened for the way that you lived. You will be separated from God for eternity in the lake of fire, where there's weeping, where there's gnashing of teeth, where there's an intense amount of regret. No light, only darkness, and there is no hope ever again. Jesus also made a promise in Revelation 21, verses 4 to 7. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. No more death. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things that passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, Jesus said, Behold, the promise that he will keep. I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He is trustworthy and true. And he said to me, verse six, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. For those who trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins, you go from hopeless to hopeful, damned to forgiven, lost to found, ruined to redeemed. We looked at some promises the Lord has kept and just now some promises he will keep. But I want to close with this. It said here, the one who conquers will have this heritage. So it's, it's our salvation is based upon us. no. I want to close with this final promise. I had a friend who told me that Romans 6, for every Romans 6 and Romans 7, there's always a Romans 8. And he talked about the sin nature and it's and how it is so hard to sometimes it feels like we live in a duality of wanting to live for Christ, yet we still fall short and that sin nature still lives in us. But I want to give you some encouragement to close. Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is indeed interceding for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Any human, any suffering, any trial, any government, any country. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. Trust in the good news. Trust in the gospel that Christ died for your sins, that he fulfilled the law, that he took the death that you owed, and three days later conquered death. Therefore, we're not hopeless, but we are hopeful. Do not believe the lies, but believe and love and obey the truth, that being Jesus Christ. Trust in the gospel. Chuck Swindoll stated, I'm not making light of the wrong in our lives or the sin. I'm just saying it's wrong to focus on it. We are more conscious of sin than we are aware of Christ. How much better it is to have lives that focus on who we are in the Savior. Forgiven in the family, in Christ, secure and accepted. So this week, I would hope due to God's promises that we looked at and the promises that he's going to keep, that you would know he is trustworthy. So this week, I encourage you to, as our passage states in verses five through seven, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Let's pray. Father, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus, you are true. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you and you alone. We thank you and we praise you for who you are, for relationship with you. We praise you that you are the truth in a world of lies. That you've given us mercy and you've given us grace and that you would have loved us, that you died on the cross for us and you rose again. In you, we conquer. Holy Spirit, work these things into our hearts and help us to plant seeds of the gospel with the way that we live our lives to enjoy you. And when we enjoy you, we glorify you. Help us to always remember the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.